Hey, welcome to the 7 Days Podcast. So, uh, as I think I said in the last episode, I think uh, pretty much done with this podcast. Pretty much it's wrapped up for the foreseeable future. It was this really miserable winter in Toronto. The 2014 to 2015 winter sucked so bad. And this podcast was a, a nice little thing to kind of help, help get me through it, give me something to do. I still have one more episode that's about... Uh, giving up porn for New Year's that uh, it was just I think maybe I mentioned this too it was like weird and kind of depressing and I don't know I'm gonna put it out eventually but I think I want to do an XO episode about similar topic so maybe I'll release the two together but that's coming at some point however what this is is uh, I was just digging through my folder for this podcast and I realized I had a couple of little clips that I never got a chance to use. Uh, just episodes I never finished. One of them, I was going to review seven comic books. And instead, I started reading Guy Delisle comics, and I did that as an episode. So I have this one random review of this comic that this lady wrote about her divorce. And if I remember right, I think I was maybe a little bit of a dick about it. <laughs> but Like I know anything about divorce. But anyway, I'll throw that in. And then the other one is... I had this idea to go to Wikipedia every day for the week and just hit the random page button and then maybe wiki quote also and just read a random wiki page and a random wiki quote each day and blab about it. And I think I only did one day, maybe two, I'm not sure, I think just one. So that's it, that's what this episode is going to be, just uh, sweeping up the remainders, sorting out my leftover audio files into a weird little mishmash episode. So uh, thank you for listening. All my other stuff is at keithcourage.com. I got my video game podcast up and going again. It's called Game Mechanics. Just did an episode about Broken Age and adventure games. So uh, that's at keithcourage.com, as is everything else. All right, so here's my, here's my leave-ins, my toaster leave-ins, my peanut sweepings. And thanks again for listening. Graphic novel number two, I, I don't know, I have weird, I've conflicted thoughts about graphic novel number two. It's called Good Riddance by Cynthia Copeland, and it's about her getting, di- <clears throat> and it's about her getting divorced in her early 40s. First off, that's a weird title, Good Riddance, because uh, it's not a particularly damning indictment of her ex-husband. Like, I mean, obviously there's a lot of parts where it's like, what's up with this? Fuck this guy. But by the end, I mean, you know, they're basically friends and he's still in the lives of their kids and stuff. 
good riddance doesn't really fit the tone. I feel like, I wonder if that's like a publisher note. Like, hey, that'll make it pop, man. That'll make people notice. Which maybe it's, maybe it would. I mean, I picked it up. Yeah, it's a weird thing because, I mean, I am a big fan of self-disclosure, you know, and people talking about how their lives are. I think this goes back in comic book form, especially to, like, uh, Joe, Matt, Chester Brown, and Seth are three Canadians, or in, in Joe Matt's case, uh, an adopted Canadian, that all did autobiographical comics about each other in the 90s. Like, they were all in each other's comics. And it was really awesome and really fascinating. But then I remember there was a long hiatus, and Joe Matt put out another autobiographical comic called Spent. I should read it again, but I remember it was so depressing because all the problems he had of being isolated and pining after his girlfriend and having a porn addiction. I guess a lot of shit I've talked about a lot in my stupid life too. But I guess maybe because his life is being told as a comic, like as a story, so you just expect the gears to turn and things to work out like a story would work out. It's hard to shake that uh, feeling. But then to jump back in 10, 12, whatever it was years later, and nothing has really changed and nothing has gotten any better. It's pretty depressing. And like, I guess part of the depressingness is the sort of inevitability of like, yeah, of course, of course things are still like this. Why would they be any different? And, you know, I don't want to criticize somebody for exposing themselves and expressing themselves, but I kind of had, like, I wished he didn't. I wished he hadn't. I'm just like, oh, dude, I didn't need to know how sad this has become. And uh, with me in particular, the time, <clears throat> and with me particularly when I was in New York and I used to be on the Keith and the Girl podcast a lot, you know, it was a lot of talking about my life and a lot of eyes on me, like a lot more attention than I ever had before or after. And, you know, a lot of criticism because you're like a character on a, a podcast. You're like a radio personality. And it's like fun for people to comment on. And I used to do that too before I was on the show. And, uh, you know, nobody really thinks about you like you're a person so much. I mean, I guess I'm not saying nobody does, but a lot of people don't. They really do act like you're a character there to be, you know, criticized or whatever. And it was always so uncomfortable because I'd always just think like, like this is like a privilege that I am telling you about myself, right? And if you wanted to understand and you wanted to see my side of things, you could. Because it's not like I'm a fucking serial killer. It's not that hard to understand. There's still dribs and drabs of that today, which not coincidentally are from Keith and the Girl listeners that still listen to my shit. But yeah, just never got that through their head. It's like, you don't, don't be such a dick, man. <laughs> like, I'm a fucking person. I'm not a weird toy to play with. But on the other hand, I mean, it's probably unfair to expect someone to go out of their way to see the upside of like if I'm saying weird shit that they don't agree with or I've done weird shit they don't agree with I mean of course they're not just gonna be on my side like that's unrealistic of me to expect that so it's kind of how I feel with this lady Cynthia Copeland is 
you know, she did a comic book about her divorce and like, that's great. What a great way to express stuff in her life and work through it and just to let people know what that's like. Maybe someone else in like a similar situation in life will read this and like find useful information from it. But at the same time, by, you know, really expressing how she and her first husband were, it's like, oh, you know, these are both in different ways really the types of people that I don't think I would get along with, you know? Really obnoxious people in some ways. So it's like I appreciate that she's clear about it and she doesn't try to hide it, but it's hard to overlook that. Like the, uh, the Cliff Notes version. Is that she was a very sheltered girl whose parents really did too much for her, you know. Yeah, I know that's coming from me who still pre-borrows inheritance money from my parents. <laughs> but if anything, my parents, it was the opposite problem though. Like they were very uninvolved in my life where this lady, Cynthia, like parents really just like guiding her by the hand through every step. And just little stuff like uh, being on a tandem bicycle and like not, not uh, pedaling unless specifically asked to pedal. I know that's a small example, but that's just, I don't know, I feel like that says a lot about that. That's a personality type that's just like, ugh. Like, the people that like to be lazy, I've never understood that, I don't get it. She's always just dreaming about fucking <laughs> eating Sundays while her husband's all about exercise. I guess that's the thing, it's like when, uh, you know, people who express something kind of shitty about themselves and they're just like, like, I know this is a bad way to be, but tee hee hee, that's just, that's it, that's how I am. God, I hate that. <laughs> it's really brutal. Whereas the husband is a super weirdo in a different way. Like, he's really into physical activity, and he's, like, some kind of sciencey dude. And he, uh, I guess I've inferred that he never really dated or slept with anybody before the woman he got married to. And he just has, like, a like, thrift tendencies to the point of, like, mania. <laughs> like, I'm a fan of not wasting money and stuff, but it's just, like, ludicrous. It's just, like, wh what is wrong with you? Stop being such a fucking freak. Like, conform to society a little bit, you weirdo. <laughs> so these two weirdos get married, and they have three kids, and everything seems to be going okay. Except for the fact that they really aren't compatible at all and really have nothing in common, and... That's where, I guess, like, just marriage in general is such a weird thing. It's like, it's obviously painful and difficult to go through a divorce, but, but we just are in a weird society. Like, this never should have happened in the first place. There's no reason why these two people should just be shackled together for life and that that's supposedly going to work. Wildly unrealistic expectation, but it is an expectation that is expected to be feasible and plausible so when the husband finally kind of just in his 40s he's like wait a second 
I'm a super good-looking athletic dude, and I can fuck other people. <laughs> like, you know, it's like this thing, this, like, sort of inevitability of, like, this kind of had to happen. And I can definitely understand how the wife is really broken up. I mean, I had a stupid fucking fake-ass relationship for three months, and I was broken up about it for three more months, you know? <laughs> a 20-year marriage that, you know, has led to, like, three kids... Of course, that's brutal, that's insane. So I have to try to get over that. So it's this weird situation of like, reading a comic about all the tough times that these two people that I don't really like are going through. I mean, maybe that's too strong to say I don't like them, but I'm sure they're nice in real life, but the image of them presented in this comic, it really is like, just like, ah, oh, you people, <laughs> you know? Like, this check was in the mail a long time ago. This was in the mail 20 years ago. And now it's time. Now it's time for everything to fucking fall apart. And then the book gets, though, into a real nice groove where it, it mostly focuses on the year of the divorce. And slowly things start to get better, like both, both the husband and the wife and even the kids in a lot of ways start to fall into like new patterns and new ways of living that are all like way more uh, aware, way more awake and way more relevant to reality, you know? And it really does seem like things are going better and it's like, all right, so that's the lesson is that change hurts, change is difficult but it does change who you are and that's almost inevitably going to be for the better but then it ends on this weird note where she gets married to a second guy and it's going real tough and things are being all weird and it just kind of ends with like like so this is pretty tough and pretty weird but I'm sure it'll be fine <laughs> like I don't know that it was intended to be so creepy like, it ended with the sale of the house that her and the first husband had built together. And I guess that's like the final, like, alright, the final split. But, it's not really, because the husband is still showing up all the time. And they go on, like, marathons and stuff together. And, like, they still do stuff together. So, as, like, a, a narrative device of this story, selling the house is, just doesn't seem like it means anything, really. And meanwhile, in the background is this second marriage that's all weird and tough and strange because it's like, here we go, here's another marriage. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know, it seems like maybe I'm sort of predisposed to feel this way, but, like, maybe the real message here is, like, marriage. Marriage is all fucked up. Marriage is a crazy weird thing. That, like, no society is in history ever had until relatively recently and it's like this forced social construct squeezes people into this weird tough situation where everyone's miserable <laughs> or just highly repressing like an awful lot of things about the biological reality of life but this lady Cynthia Copeland like she would never that would never that's just not ever gonna happen I mean I guess that's tough in general, in society, it's a lot more um, acceptable for a guy to just be a bachelor. But her in particular, just like really 
really just kind of paints a picture of herself as like a relatively sort of by the books kind of naive person like you just go through the steps and you get married you have kids etc etc there's no life outside of the societal norm so yeah i don't know a weird book i'd say i guess the thing i like the most about this book is probably the same thing i like the most about most marriages is the kids seem cool and it's like hey look at that you guys got these kids like, maybe don't fucking sweat it so much about your dumb marriage where, like, <laughs> it wasn't ever supposed to work. You were supposed to get along long enough to have some kids, and you did. Job done. So, yeah, I don't know, fucking good riddance by Cynthia Copeland. Had some moments, had some real funny parts, had some frustrating parts. I guess I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. But if you're going through a weird divorce, like, fuck it, I don't know. Sure, read it, why not? Hey, bright and early for episode four of the Seven Days Podcast. It feels extra bright and extra early because I stayed up real late last night drinking and stuff. <laughs> so, so I've been mentioning throughout these early weeks that this show just keeps getting longer and longer and longer. Last week's episode was so insanely long that it had two sub-podcasts inside it. Like, two of the segments were so long, they spawned their own podcasts, like a movie review podcast with my friends and a wrestling review podcast with my other friends. So the long podcasts are cool and make things happen, but it's, it's eating up my whole life, man. <laughs> I have to reel it back. So this week I decided for just uh, an easy little thing, this week for my seven days, I'm going to read a random Wikipedia article every day for the week and uh, just see what I learn from it. And man, I love Wikipedia. I love it. I, if, if somebody made me decide, like, you can only use five websites ever for the rest of your life, Wikipedia would definitely be one of them. When uh, they did a thing for, I think it was to promote awareness of net neutrality, where the site was blocked out for the day. And it got me so many times. Like, I would keep forgetting that it wasn't working for the day. So probably, I don't know, five or six times throughout the day, I would just compulsively go to Wikipedia. Not compulsively, but, you know, I'd want to look something up, just something I was curious about, and it would be blanked out, and I'd be like, ah, fuck, that's right, god damn it. Like, I really do use it every day, a bunch of times. And uh, last time they had a... A donation drive, I gave them 20 bucks, and I am a super cheap guy with no job, so that's how much I like Wikipedia. I was like, yeah, man, here you go, take my money. 
because you guys rule. Like, I can't really imagine a world where there would be no Wikipedia. I'm kind of surprised in a way that they have such large operational overhead. <laughs> I mean, I guess they get a lot of traffic, but but it seems a little weird because, I mean, that is the whole point of Wikipedia is that it sort of runs itself. In fact, I should probably look up the wiki page on Wikipedia at some point to learn more about it because I love it so much. And usually I do use it for pop culture more than anything, but it's uh, such a cool thing for pop culture to be organized like this. It's so great for albums and musicians and movies and just any anything, man. Like, so there's so few times that uh, I can't find something on Wikipedia. In the first week of this podcast, I couldn't find the band The Push Kings, but that's so rare. And I still found a reference to them on another wiki page. I remember there's a Japanese band called Missile Girl Scoot that I totally loved that didn't have a wiki page at the time. Let me see if they still don't. They do not have a page in English, only in Japanese. But I remember I was thinking, like, that was my one time I almost made a contribution to Wikipedia, is I was like, well, I could be the one to do it. I could set up a page for these guys. But I had a hard time finding information about them. Uh, I didn't think I could make a very good wiki page. I guess now I could just from this Google translation of the Japanese page. Uh, Missile Girl Scoot is Japan five sets of fusion band is. <laughs> Google Translate's not very good. Ska, punk, hip-hop, hardcore, etc. was a sound feature that combines the various elements. Active 1994 to 2003. Yeah, they're a really cool band, but, uh, but yeah, with Wikipedia, you know, the classic thing is always, well, anyone can edit it, and it could just be nonsense, it could just be craziness, and, well, you can't trust it, and whatever, all the horrible lies of Wikipedia, and that just never happened, that's just not the case at all, like, I'm sure there is some misinformation kicking around on Wikipedia, but it doesn't seem to be commonly the case. Like, sometimes if it's a page with low traffic, someone will put something stupid there, and it'll take a little while for somebody to notice. But everyone notices eventually, and uh, I remember back in the day when I was slightly more internet famous, like somebody added me into... I don't know, the page for the Australian band Smudge, I think, you know, just, uh, just Keith McNally is a noted fan of this band, you know, just as a joke. And it took a couple weeks before someone was like, what is that? And fucking deleted it, rightfully, as they should. I didn't mean to besmirch Wikipedia, it was done on my behalf. But uh, for big items, like their the peer review system, I think actually makes it more sort of set up. Like sometimes information will stay with a citation needed so you're like okay maybe that's true maybe it's not but but out and out misinformation just doesn't seem to be a thing on wikipedia i've never heard that news story you know like oh no something terrible happened oh that a bridge collapsed or someone wasn't able to complete surgery because the information on wikipedia was wrong oh fuck you wikipedia you know that never happened wikipedia is the greatest and I especially learned respect for it for news stories. Like, even though I'm just looking up weird, obscure bands and shit, when, I think specifically, it was this 
shooting that happened. See, even just now, I was going to look up the details on Wikipedia, but my shitty fucking... Oh, here we go. See, even for that, I just... To make sure I had the right information, I just typed shooting island wiki, and I see the 2011 Norway attacks, because I couldn't remember exactly what country. But it was a guy who cornered a bunch of people on an island and shot them, and it was fucked, and it was really fucking crazy. But I remember trying to find information about that online, and it was a fucking nightmare, man, trying to navigate official news sources and trying to connect the dots of these different stories because they just want constant news updates. And it was still like the same reason why I hated watching the news when I was a kid. My dad used to watch it every day, and I just had this sense like, this is bullshit. Like, I know you're getting this sense the satisfied sense that you're staying up to date with stuff and that you're a concerned citizen of the world and you're watching the news so you're informed. But it's so fucking sensationalized, even in Canada. It's not as bad as the States, but it's still fucking ridiculous. And just exclamation points and fucking weird dumb headlines and it does not feel like adults speaking to adults. It's just a big, weird advertiser mess. It's fucking... I hate the news. I hate it. I hate that whole feeling that it gives you and the whole sense of just a torqued up world. And and it's so... The pageantry is worse than something like wrestling. Like, they have their own style in the news, but it's the news, and this is how the news is. And we will keep you updated as progress happens. And, and it's just... It's so utterly transparent to me. It just I hate how they present things and how the sense of life that the news puts forward, the sense of what human society even is, is so negative and so fucked up and so blatantly like it's like circusy. It's it's just uh, I'm not a fan. But then I realized with this news story, is the first time I realized this, that if you go on to Wikipedia, even as a story is breaking, even as these things are happening, that's where you get uh, a really organized account of here is the information that we know. Here's where it came from. Here it is all lined up. And, and I, I couldn't have loved Wikipedia more. And then somehow I did love it more. I was like, this thing is actually valuable. Like, it's literally the best way to disseminate news with a peer-reviewed system so you don't get a bunch of... a bunch of fluff information that's just there to have an update. You don't have a bunch of uh, stuff that skews one way or the other politically. It's, it's fucking the best, man. I love Wikipedia so much. So, uh, Wikipedia claims to have over 4 million articles, and there's a little page I don't use very much, just a choose a random page link. And I thought, what if I just try that, and if it's something really weird and stupid, like here's a, here's a U-bend piece for uh, plumbing or something, you know, I'll pick another one. But for day one of this experiment, my very first click, I was like, all right, I'll check this out. <laughs> like the very first try was something interesting. Or at least it seemed interesting on the surface. Realistically, this should help keep the podcast short because I don't have very much to say about this. It's the Caproni Campini Number no. 1, and it's an experimental jet aircraft built by an Italian manufacturer, Caproni, 
first flown in 1940. And I was like, oh, cool, jets. Like, I do find that so interesting to think that, like, I, I referenced last episode that video game Red Dead Redemption. And one thing I loved about that game, it's, a, it's an Old West, like, cowboy game, but it takes place right at the end, like, right at the end of the line. It was 1910. And toward the end of that game, there's a car in it, you know, uh, an old-ass car. And I love thinking about that. Like, you go from the cowboy days, which just feels so disconnected from the modern era, but toward the end, like, cars were bleeding in. And then you go another 10 years to 1920, and you get, like, that show, Boardwalk Empire, which was, you know, relatively modern. I mean, they didn't really have to build a bunch of sets to do that show. They... I mean, I'm sure there are some sets, but, you know, just buildings. You just have people put on some old-timey clothes and some old-timey cars, and the buildings are the buildings, you know? And then 20 years from then, 1940, I mean, a fucking jet. We're flying jets around, you know? <laughs> from cowboys to jets in half of someone's lifetime. It's fucking crazy, man. Like, I love that stuff. Realistically, though, this uh, wiki page is very technical. The different jet type, it was more of a thermojet, although the term motor jet is in common usage today. Three-stage variable incidence compressor. <laughs> 12-cylinder liquid-cooled piston engine. Apparently this jet had uh, relatively low thrust and very poor fuel economy, but with a citation needed, was recognized by the Fédération Aeronautique Internationale as the first successful flight by a jet aeroplane. And it's kind of a cool-looking little retro jet, and one of the prototypes taken to the United Kingdom for tests subsequently disappeared, and the other prototypes now on display in the Aeronautical Museum near Rome. And here's all of its characteristics. Two crew members, its wingspan, its empty weight, <laughs> its maximum takeoff weight. Like, how do people even know all this shit? Like, I presume they must uh, travel through their old encyclopedias and be transcribing a lot of this stuff into Wikipedia. Who knows, though, like, maybe it's just the same way I was interested in Missile Girl Scoot. Somebody out there is interested in the Caproni Campini number one, you know? Like, maybe they have weird old flight magazines or different books they've read. Like, I don't know. That's an interesting thing to me. Like, where exactly? I would like to... It would be interesting to follow the evolution of a Wikipedia page. Like, if someone ever made a documentary about Wikipedia go through the update history of a page like this and find all those people and just be like, who are you and how do you know this, <laughs> you know? Although I guess between the notes and the bibliography, some of this information is actually... It's not so mysterious, it's right here. The Illustrated Encyclopedia of Aircraft from 1982, a book called Flight from 1942. Looks like those were where most of the information came from. Oh, man, and yeah, just Wikipedia, it's so great. Like, you know, a list of aircraft produced by the Caproni Corporation. 
lists relating to aviation, like you can just get so pulled in, pulled into the rabbit hole. <laughs> there's a specific set, like, there's a specific section for Italian experimental aircraft from 1940 to 1949. World War II Italian experimental aircraft. If I was going to go anywhere from here, and I'm not, this is going to be enough for today, but I would go to the page on jet propulsion and find out what a jet engine actually is, but I have a feeling I would, uh, I would read it and not really understand, I think. But alright, man, there's random article number one. I like this. I think this is going to be fucking cool. I'm excited, so I'll see you tomorrow for random article number two. Hold on, one more thing I'm going to do is, uh, along with a wiki article each day, I'm going to also go to wiki quote and pick a random quotation until I find one that sounds interesting. What made me think of this is, I heard the saying the other day, you are living the life that someone else is dreaming about. And that saying really stuck with me. It really made me think of like a sort of somewhere out there, Five Will Goes West type of vibe of uh, an American tale, I guess, not Five Will Goes West, but you know, somebody out there in a less, somebody out there with a less easy life than me in a less easy position and a less easy society, you know, they're probably laying in bed at night just like wishing they could have this life that I have and that we all have and that everyone in like North America in particular like, we just have it so good and so easy, and it's so easy to forget that. So I love this saying, that you are living the life that someone else is dreaming about. Like, I, I love that. I just feel like it, it encapsulates so much, it encompasses so much of, like, what we should be thankful about and mindful of. And it's just, a, I feel like it's just a really good way to, to keep things in mind and to look at life. But I see these little quotes and then I just, I forget them. So I had this idea because I have all these blank cue cards that I bought and never used. So every day I've been getting up and writing out that sentence again. You are living the life that someone else is dreaming about. And taking that moment to sit down and to write that phrase kind of makes me have to think about it. And like internalize it and spend a moment reminding myself how true that is and how much I should appreciate everything that I have. And the idea is I want to go through this whole stack of cue cards and once I've written this down for that many days in a row, like I'm hoping it'll just be a thing that I know. I remember I did this once just almost randomly. It was a story that I read in second grade. I went to French school and I don't remember the name of the book or how I would ever find it again, but it was about a kid who lives in a futuristic city that has a dome over it that protects it from weather. And he goes outside of the dome to go visit his grandparents, and his grandparents live the old way, where there's snow everywhere, and they're just, the weather is the weather. 
And I have a feeling I probably wouldn't think much of that story now, but for whatever reason in second grade, I thought it was really great. I really was like, I want to remember this book. I'm going to deliberately make myself think about this book every day. And I did it for enough days in a row that I still remember it. Like, I'm just never going to forget that stupid fucking book. <laughs> I don't know why I thought that was so important. So I'm curious to see if something that worked when I was seven years old still works when I'm 35 years old. Can I, will this ingrain itself in my mind so that I just wake up and just know it, you know? Don't let my privilege overtake me, you know? Just like kind of have a better sense. I feel like if there's a a fucking quote I'm going to try to remember, you're living the life that someone else is dreaming about is a fucking good one. But yeah, sometimes a good quote, man, it's it's real good. So I picked a random page on WikiQuote, and I came up with the wiki for ability, a whole list of quotes about ability. And I was going through them, and they're sort of pseudo-inspirational, and they're really not working for me. And then this one really stood out. This is a weird quote. I don't even know how to use a parking meter, let alone a phone box. And that was from Diana Princess of Wales, August 22, 1994, replying in the Times to allegations that she had been making nuisance phone calls. So obviously that quote itself is nothing, it's a dumb quote, but what? Princess Diana was accused of of fucking, of jerky boysing people? (laughs) Like... What are you talking about? Like, that isn't... I never heard of that ever. That is so weird. So I think uh, I think we know what that means. I think this might be a, a bonus segment where I am going to have to Wikipedia Princess Diana and her nuisance phone calls and see what the fuck that's all about. So whatever these allegations were of Princess Diana making prank calls, they couldn't have been too serious because I can't find anything about that. That must I don't know what that was all about. But I did come up with an article about Princess Diana's fucking telephone being tapped. Apparently this was a big thing. It happened a bunch in the UK where people, high-level people, would get their phone tapped and the tapes would mysteriously get released and... I don't know, this didn't sound like the most uh, shocking thing ever. It was just her talking to some friend of hers about how she worried she might be pregnant and she compared herself to somebody on EastEnders and just some blah, blah, blah. Here's my boring-ass conversation, but I'm Princess Diana, so whoa. But I don't know, that's a little interesting. I didn't really know that that, uh, that, that happened or that that was so common. The article also mentions about uh, just like the British press. I mean, the British press does seem a little weird. Like they... I don't know, I guess Canada, we have fewer newspapers in general, so there's just less skew. Most of the newspapers are relatively mature, I guess I would say, where I noticed when I was in the States, like, you can definitely see the disparity between here's the real newspaper and here's the silly newspaper with the fucking nonsense title on the cover that's just meant to grab your attention. And it seems like uh, the UK is very much like that as well. Like, they really... 
I mean, they have their weird page three girls and stuff and fucking just seems like they have a very, like their media has got a very sarcastic attitude and very, I mean, I, I'm not saying you shouldn't be dismissive of celebrity. I think you should absolutely, but it is weird when it comes from a sort of pseudo official source. And they mentioned like the day that uh, Princess Diana died in a car crash that early editions of newspapers that were printed before the news of the crash, you know, became common knowledge were pretty much uniformly just stories about Princess Diana's dumb blonde image and just like, what a dopey dope this dope is. Look at this idiot. Oh no, she's dead and everyone loves her now. <laughs> so we look awkward. <laughs> Yeah, I really don't know much about Princess Diana, but it is interesting the way yeah, people just get canonized and stuff after they die, because, yeah, nobody nobody cared about Princess Di before. From I mean, I was kind of a kid. I guess I was 17 years old when she died, so for most of her like life, you know, I was far too young to give a shit about what was going on. But my sense in the public was you'd get those... It wasn't until she died that you get, like, commemorative plates and all this stuff. Before then, it was like, she's she's the dopey party girl princess that's, I don't know, <laughs> celebrity. Oh, my God. Like, I had the tiniest little version of celebrity where it was this one podcast in New York that that people who listened to that show knew who I was. So, like, once a year, you'd have, like, the little convention and there'd be people that would all gather and knew who I was, right? So it was like this one little taste of what it's like to be famous for like two days. And I'm really like grateful that that's all that ever happened. Like I got that little taste, like a little inoculation to sort of show me a little bit what it's like, but not for it to just be blown out like something like Princess Diana or some huge movie star or something. I'm not saying I would ever be a person like that, but... But I would want to be, you know, like I definitely had that thought that I think most people have, like strive toward that. Like, wouldn't that be great to be rich and famous? And wow, that would be so awesome. But it really becomes clear that being rich would be great, sure. <laughs> but wielding power would have its uses. But fame is not the power that you want. It is like the reverse. It just kind of wrecks your whole life. Like you can't be normal anymore you can't have a normal life anymore and some people seem able to deal with it but even just having the listenership of this one podcast on me I didn't handle it very well like it was just a, a weird bad feeling it made me act weird it made me not myself and to have that exploded like can you imagine being in tabloids all the time and just under constant surveillance holy fuck like how could you ever be normal how could you ever deal with that it would be the worst it would just be like neurosis city it really like i almost feel bad for people that stumble into mega fame when they're young and it's like oh jesus christ like thank god that didn't happen to me thank god i wasn't some weird nickelodeon kid or something there's britney spears fucking disney bullshit and just like here's the whole world now looking at you and it's weirder if you don't go crazy <laughs> you know all right i don't know how i got off on that tangent remember how this is supposed to be the short podcast all right so that's it for today i am done with wikipedia i'll see you tomorrow for a new random wiki page and a new random wiki quote Simicide.
じな会議中ですらならスペルファン確かに便利かなり重宝けど移動に花見離さずはかなり異常しゃばりの通話料依存症気づかぬ君すでに重症凝った着目の抜け目ないラッコオールエース買いこなす強者そろそろ買い